And it's so funny that through that entire event, I did not once think about Kobe. I didn't think about what I was showing him. I didn't think about what I was modeling. I just knew what was right. And I also knew how scary it felt for whatever reason. I mean, it's almost silly thinking about it now, but in the moment, those feelings were real and big. And mm -hmm. I had to ask myself questions and I had to process through and I had to remind myself, I'm safe. I am the adult. It is my work to do. I have language that I can have a conversation with. I can slow moments down. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we're having a really important conversation with Britt Hawthorne. Britt Hawthorne is an anti-racism educator, a teacher, speaker, visionary, and advocate. Britt, I would love it if you started by introducing yourself and telling us how you became so passionate about the work you're doing as an anti-racism educator. Well, first, thank you so much for having me on the show. I am a huge fan, and I'm just honored to be here. And I came into this work really through, before I was a classroom teacher, and I came into the work really through education. I went through my undergrad degree and got a degree in elementary education, and it was a traditional degree program. And I started teaching, and then I stumbled across Montessori pedagogy. And I found that through our oldest son, Carter, who's now 15, but at the time he was three, and we were looking for a place for him to start school. And going through the Montessori teacher prep program, it was the first time in my adult life that I was really challenged in my thinking about child development, about helping the child reach their fullest potential, about what are the obstacles in the child's way, including sometimes myself, and then how do I remove myself from being that barrier? So it was a really beautiful experience, but at the same time, the Montessori pedagogy can be really exclusionary in a number of ways. Not only is it super duper white, but it can be exclusionary because of the cost of the training. It can be exclusionary because the training can be ableist at times. And so when I was in that space, while we're talking about and doing all of this very liberating work for the child, I myself as the adult wasn't feeling it. And so I ended up stumbling across this organization called Montessori for Social Justice, and that organization was such a beautiful organization that was deeply thoughtful and intentional about recentering people of the global majority, centering indigenous and native folks, thinking about accessibility in ways that I never had thought about. And that honestly really energized me and fired me up to say, oh my gosh, this is not only life-giving, but it's fun, it's playful, it's about community, I'm making friends. And that is how I got into anti-racist work. Well, we can feel that energy every time you speak with your consulting clients and even on the podcast that we've listened to. It's just, it shines so brightly. And we had a really candid conversation with you, Britt, before we hit record and just learned so much in those few minutes that we cannot wait to dive into this interview. But I thought we'd start out by having you define racism before we shift into talking about anti-racism. A lot of times folks want to jump in to talk about anti-racism, and then I always have to kind of backtrack. You're all on the right track already. 
So racism, the definition that I use when working with adults is that it's simply a system of advantage where white people are advantaged and people of color are disadvantaged. Pretty clear, simple there. And then when we work with children, I have some different definitions because when we're working with children, we really want to make sure that we are embracing their curiosity and we're also engaging their critical thinking skills. Yeah. And we're going to get into that a little bit later so that you can give us specific examples. Because as all of us know, we're all mothers. Our kids are sometimes going to say things because they're really curious and they're not trying to be, you know, offensive or racist, but it's our job to kind of guide them. So we'll get into that a little bit later. I want to talk about your book coming out. It's called Raising Anti-Racist Children, A Practical Parent guide. And on your website, you say, I still can't believe I'm writing the book that I needed 14 years ago. The one that I wished my parents had. The book I've dreamt about writing, a parenting book about raising anti-racist children. I know that Abby and I cannot wait to read it. We already have our pre-orders in, but I wanted you to talk about the term anti-racist and what you're hoping people take away from your book. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about my booking. I wish everyone could just see my big smile that's happening right now. But anti-racism really is the active resistance to racism. So it's we're actively resisting that system of advantage where white people are advantaged and people of the global majority are disadvantaged. And what we're seeking then is for there to be equal outcomes. And I'll give an example. I'm a former classroom teacher, so a lot of my examples are going to have to do with school and education. But right now, if I was to show you a bar graph, right, and the bar graph, let's say, was going down, like descending, and I would say these are the graduation rates or these are the college acceptance rates by racial categories, but I left it blank at the bottom. Most of the time, people, four out of five, will get it right for who goes where. And what that means is that right now we have unequal outcomes and that race is an indicator of success in this country. And we want to eliminate that. And then working with our children, this is really where kind of I consider the play or the fun really comes into like, how do we make this practical and concrete with working with young children? And so for us thinking about representation and our toys, our books, our movies, is really important. And that allows us to have this active resistance. So if I know that there's about 12% Black folks in the United States, then I want to make sure that we're also having about 12% of representation in our house when it comes to the toys that we have, or the books that we have, or the movies that we have. And that's not like a hard and fast rule. That's just a starting point. Your family might decide more. Your family might say, you know what? We want to have an over-representation of Black folks or Latinx folks, Latina folks in our household or Asian folks in our household, right? So that's where a part of this anti-racism means that we have to have constant and consistent conversations with our parenting partners. And we start talking to them and start asking like, hey, when you were growing up, did you have toys or books that matched your racial category? And if so, hmm, was that easy to find? I wonder why. And if not, how did that make you feel? Like, did you ever notice that? Or I wonder kind of what conclusions you drew or expectations you have. And then you start asking like, well, what's our expectation for our children? 
especially if you live in a place that is not racially and ethnically diverse. That's where we really want to have clear expectations and accountability around that to say, you know what, we're going to balance the TV shows that they're watching or the books that they're reading or the magazines that we're purchasing in our household. We really want to have a balanced diet of what the representation our children are having. And that means that it's okay to say no, that we're going to have to pass on some movies. Even if they're blockbusters, we might have to pass on some toys and that's okay. You know, Britt, when we were fielding questions for you, we did get a lot about if books and TV that have different races in them, is that enough? Because people are saying, you know, our kids are exposed in whatever area they're living in. They're feeling like there just isn't that much diversity. And the question kind of is, is books and is TV shows or movies enough? It's definitely a starting place. And I'm not going to say if it's enough or not, because we live in a racist society, we live in a society which our children are receiving so many messages and so are we. I'm never going to say necessarily there's enough, but I do think it's a really strong starting point. And I think making sure that caregivers have the tools around how to have anti-racist media literacy. And so it's not just about buying the book, but it's what's the contents of the book? By six years old, our children, when we would go to the library, let's say they, Kobe would go and find a book. And we had really clear expectations that we had communicated to our children by six of what they could check out and what they couldn't check out. And so for our household, first and foremost, we're always looking to support Black authors. And so we had a list. I like kept a list in my notes app on my phone. And the librarians know us at the library. And so oftentimes they would also know our expectations. And then librarians are incredible about supporting your needs, your family's needs. So we would go in and I would say, oh, hey, there's a new book by Jacqueline Woodson, or there's a new book out that's by Jason Reynolds. Let's go see if we can find it. And there's one time Kobe had found the book and we didn't know too much about it. And it had a little black boy on the cover and the boy had an Afro just like Kobe. And there was a basketball and a bus on this book cover. And Kobe was immediately drawn to it. And he said, because we had practiced this, he said, mom, can I have your phone? And I said, why? And he goes, I need to look up the author. And I said, oh, okay. And so he looks up the author and he finds that the author is a white man. And it, Kobe goes, oh, I wonder why he wrote this book. I said, hmm, that is interesting. Very curious. I said, so let's read with caution, right? And so Kobe knows that means that let's read to see how that's going to make you feel when you start reading it. And he read the first couple of pages and he said, you know, I'm not really interested. In I said, that's okay. We'll put the book back, right? But that's, it's so important that you have really strong media literacy around the books and toys that you have. Other things when you have young children under seven years old to think about is that all children need to know that children of the global majority come from a place of power before discussing oppression and discrimination. So it's not about having books that are talking about the bus boycott or talking about police brutality or talking about slavery, right? It's having books that show joy and everyday scaries and struggles. So we have a book in our household and it's called The Zoo Day. And it's just about a, a multiracial family going to the zoo and the animals that they see, right? We have another one and I forget the name of it. It's about a monster and it's like, all the other families have ordered a monster. And then this family had also ordered a monster, but didn't get the monster they wanted to order. And 
it was a problem, right? That's Mm -hmm. really important that we are establishing joy, that we're establishing that all communities um, not only deserve, but have a right to have dignity and value and respect. And then when our children are a little bit older, around seven, eight, nine, that's when we start to have those explicit conversations about unfairness, explicit conversations about, you know, it can be genocide, it can be uh, the theft of land. Thank you so much, Kobe. Our nine-year-old is home with us right now. Um, and he just brought me the book. It's called That's Not the Monster We Ordered. Oh, awesome. <laughs> thank you, Kobe. Thank you. Abby and Amy said, thank you. He said, no problem. <laughs> and we would love a list of some of these books too. So we can connect afterwards on that. But that book already, I'm like, I need that in our library. And throughout this conversation for our listeners, if you're not at that 12%, for instance, that 12% of your books aren't representing everything that you want to in your books or in your toys or in your TV shows. Let's just use this as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Like, don't feel bad about this. Don't have shame about this. This is why we had you on, Britt, is to open up this conversation so that we can start somewhere. And I like what you said there about it's more than just having the toys or just having the books, but also the content inside of it and having it have the joy, because that's a piece that we can all get on board with. Yes, definitely. And having those conversations first with your parenting partner so that you can Mm -hmm. become comfortable, right? And oftentimes you can also process and kind of work through all of the messiness that we need to work through. So we do that with our adults. We do that with the parenting partners. And then that way we can feel a lot more open and comfortable and confident when we talk with our children about it too. Mm, Yes, exactly. And when preparing for this interview, I was researching your work on your website and on your Instagram. And Britt, this quote, really stopped me in my tracks. You said, by kindergarten, learners show many of the same racial prejudices that adults in our society hold. Children are picking up discriminatory language and actions and repeating them in our classrooms. There are a million reasons, Britt, why we need to have this conversation. And this right here, this is one of them. So how do we help our little people start to identify this unfairness and this bias? That's a really beautiful question. And I want to kind of unpack a little bit of the difference between curiosity and what we refer to as pre-prejudice. We use that term pre-prejudice whenever we're talking about really young children for a number of reasons. Pre-prejudice is an attitude, opinion, or feeling that's really formed without adequate prior knowledge, thought, or reason. And that pre-prejudice can be because of limited experiences. They are really young, y'all. So it could just be limited experiences that they drew in an accurate conclusion. It could be that it's developmental. It could be that it is a reflection of either an adult in their life or society's already held beliefs, right? So we know it's curious when a child is asking us a question, when they have a desire to learn something, right? And they're asking us just an open-ended question about like, oh, can mommies be in wheelchairs? You know, and so, and you're like, oh, that's a really beautiful question. And they just invited us into their world, right? They have just for the first time noticed something, processed it, and then had that expressive language. And then what they're saying to their safe adult is, hey, can you help me figure this out? And so we want to meet that invitation with gratitude. That's different than when a child is saying something that's really rooted in pre-prejudice, And we want to be aware. We want to be mindful whenever we take our children to the park, you know, they're at the public library or community center or swim class. 
And I'm looking to see, are they showing signs of fear or discomfort around human diversity? And be really honest about it. A lot of times we'll hear parents, oh, they're just shy. You know, I want to be Mm -hmm. honest. Is there a pattern that's forming here? I'm raising two self-identified as cisgendered boys. And so when they were younger, I was like looking for a pattern to see if they weren't going to play with girls, for instance, right? I'm noticing if they're rejecting a person. And again, one time, it can just be a day, right? We all have days, we all have moments. But if it becomes a pattern, like every time we go to the park and there's a child with darker skin or there's a child who has a different dialect or accent or speaks a different language, and if they keep saying no, I'm like, ooh, okay, this is something I'm going to have to work on. It can also be pre-prejudiced whenever there's a like matter of fact or closed comments or statements, right? And it can be based off limited experiences. So I think that's kind of important to decipher the two because the way that we respond is really different. If it's curiosity, right? We want to connect with them and say like, that's a beautiful question. I'm so glad you asked me. I've never thought of that. Or, you know, we can respond to it right away. So we want to connect, then clarify and let them know like, oh, yes, mommies can be in wheelchairs and daddies can be in wheelchairs and people use wheelchairs because wheelchairs give people independence, right? And then we Mm -hmm. want to make sure that we're just being really open with them. And just, I like to finish my conversations with my children with what other questions do you have for me as a way just to say that I'm open. And a lot of times they say, no, that's it. Or off they go. And, you know, they're onto the next thing already, but it's just letting them know that I'm open and I'm here. And that's very different when something is matter of fact. So when something is unfair to help them understand when something is unfair, I have a definition that I use with children. First and foremost, it's unfair whenever a group of people or a person isn't getting their needs met based on an identity. It's also unfair if someone is being mistreated because of an identity or an experience. And so as the adult, there's a lot of work that I find that when I'm working with other caregivers, I'm working with teachers that I have to do is both what are identities, what are experiences, and what are needs for us to unpack to understand. So needs are things that all human beings, regardless of culture, regardless of time, regardless of you know past, present, or even going into the future, we've all needed. We've all needed shelter. We've always needed transportation. We've always needed clothing. We've always needed nourishment, right? And there's some more needs, but just to kind of give you an example. So if my child says something like, why do those people live underneath the bridge, right? That's something that I'm noticing my child is saying, hmm, something seems off, right? Older children, let's say 9, 10, 11, may have already picked up attitudes held by society. So they may, and I've had a nine-year-old in my classroom, in fact, one time had said, you know, those people just need to get a job, mm. right? And so I'm like, ooh. And I always think about, I wonder how they picked that up. Mm -hmm. And then I wonder how I'm going to help them put it back down, right? So it's simple as that. They picked it up. We're going to put it back down. And so first I want to kind of walk it back. And again, we're embracing critical thinking skills. So I want to say, wow. So what I hear you saying is someone doesn't have shelter. Someone doesn't have a house. You know, "Mm." I wonder if people need 
a house. I wonder if people need shelter. And do you have to earn shelter? Now, in elementary, we work a lot of on needs. We work a lot on wants. And so in my classroom, at least, they will already know that when something is a fundamental need, you shouldn't have to earn it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to get a house with a bowling alley in it and like a tennis court and swimming pools. You know, it might mean that you have a one bedroom apartment. It might mean that you have a tiny home. It might mean that you have temporary shelter of some kind, right? But you deserve as a human being to have shelter. And then we talk about, well, why should shelter be a right? Right. And that's really important. And children as young as six years old, seven years old can start to understand what does our shelter do for us? It keeps us safe from inclement weather. It keeps our belongings and possessions safe. It also helps us sleep at night, right? And we know how important sleep is. Young children already know because their caregivers are telling them all the time, you have to go to bed or you have to take a nap. Your brain has to have a chance to you know, reset and refresh itself. So we know that having shelter is really important for us reaching our fullest potential. And so if a group of people aren't getting their needs met, then we know it's unfair. A couple of things I also want to mention around unfairness is usually when children are young, six, seven, or younger, we just simply use the term fair and unfair. And what we're working on using that term is we really want to get clear the difference between unfair and just being like rude or mean or unkind. Mm -hmm. I hear parents use those interchangeably all the time. And if that can be like a big takeaway, it's making sure we're getting really clear about those two. And I'm going to give you an example. If I'm shopping and I go to Target, because I love Target, so we're going to Target. And let's say I go to a super old school Target where they don't have automated doors. And I go to walk through that door, right? I'm going to pause with my child and say, hmm, this is interesting. They don't have automated doors. I wonder if this might limit access to someone. Would it make it hard for someone to move through this door? You know, and children can be like, mm, I don't, you know, I don't know. Or if you're a family with a stroller, they already know. Yes, because they've seen you struggle moving through a door before. So then we can start to say, like, who would this maybe make it hard for people who have strollers, people who use wheelchairs, people who use walkers, like lots of people. I wonder what would be fair. And children, because young children, it's right at their eye level. They already are aware of that activation switch. Right. And they're like, oh, they could have that button that opens the door. And you're like, yes, that's an activation mm -hmm. switch. Right. That's different than if I'm going to Target and let's say the person in front of me doesn't hold the door open for me. They just, they like see that I have a stroller. I got a baby on my hip. I have bags that I'm trying to return. And they just walk through that door and don't hold it. And then I'm like, ooh, I think they need a grace and courtesy lesson. <laughs> that was really unkind. It's important to get clear on the difference because when something is unkind, there's not a lot that we can do about it, right? I mean, I might say something like underneath my breath or something to my child passive aggressively, but when something is unfair, I could go to the manager and say, hey, this is really unfair. And I would like to you know, file a concern and say that this door should have an activation switch. And so that it's really important to kind of get clear between those two. And a quick break from our podcast sponsor, which is BetterHelp. 
As we all know, parenting at any age can be so hard. Things are thrown our way, life gets tricky, decisions are hard to make. And I have spoken with my therapist, Susan from BetterHelp Online Therapy, so many times about just the struggles that I have in parenthood as a mother, trying to play all the roles simultaneously. It's been great because we can chat either on a walk, so I can just go out for a walk and talk with Susan on the phone. We can sit down and have more of a formal video conference. Otherwise, she's been able to send me resources on parenting, resources on all the topics that we've talked about, but definitely on the things that I need the most help with just through the chat feature. Being able to send links or simple newsletters or little tips just to go on with my day has been such a helpful part of therapy and just of parenthood in general. So. Our listeners do get 10% off their first month by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. And again, that's 10% off at betterhelp.com backslash herself. Your mental health matters. You matter. And if therapy has been on your mind or on your to-do list, on that priority list for a while, it's time to get the help that you need. Oh, yes. Okay. And I love how this conversation goes so much further than just racism. We're looking at all kinds of differences and how our children are seeing them. Britt, our youngest, was born with Down syndrome. And for Lucy and Micah, when they see their younger brother, he's just their younger brother. But when we go to you know galas or therapy type programs and they see older adults with Down syndrome, that's when the questions start to come. And we can all understand their curiosity when they see these differences. Mm-hmm. They might just speak to it at a time that makes you feel uncomfortable. So to continue this conversation, how do we address it if our child says something like, mom, why is that lady so big? Or why is his skin black? How can we start to have those conversations, Britt? Yeah, we're going to go back to that 3C model. So both of those examples that you just shared were statements out of curiosity. So we want to connect right? We want to say, oh, that's a beautiful question. We want to clarify. Hmm, Everyone gets their skin color from something called melanin. And some people have more melanin than others. The more melanin, the darker the skin and the less melanin like yours, the lighter the skin. And we just want to continue the conversation. What other questions do you have for me? If in that moment, if you notice, right? Like, oh, why is that lady so big. And if it gives you a gut reaction, own it, right? Put your hand on wherever it gives you that reaction, take a deep breath, and then still connect, always connect with your child. And you can say something like, oh, I haven't ever thought of that. Or "Mm, can I have some time to think about it? You're modeling a few things here that number one, we're not always comfortable and confident and that's okay. Number two, you are not the warrior of knowledge. You don't always have to know the answer. You don't always have to have the right answer either. And number three, you're still saying, I am here. I am open. I'm a safe adult that you can always come and ask me questions, right? And we can figure it out together. Depending on if the person is like right there and you know they heard you versus not, let me give you a couple pointers. Number one, Don't ever, ever, ever try to shush your child away from it. Not only is it showing your own embarrassment with the question, you also took learning from your child. And then the other person is also feeling your embarrassment, right? And instead, own it again, like just put your hand on your gut. 
And depending on your family values, so in our family, I would simply say, hey, I want to remind you that it's never okay to comment on someone's body, right? So that's something that in our family, we have that. You can also respond with something being a little bit more open and just saying, I want to remind you that everybody's body is different and we all get to be different, right? Again, it's not going into like, well, who, let me try to like completely dissect and unpack this individual that I've never met. If they said it in front of the person, it's always okay to check on the person too. I know that it might feel a bit like new or strange, right? If you're at the grocery line, you're putting your groceries on there and your child says that and the other person looks at you, you can look back at the person and say like, whoa, that's a big question, huh? Right? And just being like, own it. And the other person, you can see how they take it. They make it super offended. And they might say, you need to teach your child better manners. And you're like, oh, I'll talk to my child. Okay. They might turn to the child and have an explanation, but it's always okay to allow another person to own how they are also feeling as well. It's teaching our children that we don't have to be so cautious and that we're walking on eggshells that now we're like holding our tongue from our curious questions, right? And so then you can turn to the child and say, again, I want to remind you, it's never okay to comment on someone's body, right? And you just kind of flow with it and see how it's going. I have been there. I have been in the bathroom where my child has said that exact same thing. And I have responded to that in that way. And the person that was next to me was like, I really appreciate you saying that. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I loved your answer, Britt, because it just gave people clarity on how they could handle that situation if it comes up. And I hope that people are starting to realize, because I know we used to teach, or I should say, not we, but other people used to teach, oh, we don't see skin color. We don't see differences in bodies. And I'm like, that is just, it's not true. We do see it. So we have to teach our kids to be comfortable with it, to be educated, to learn about differences in people. Absolutely. I mean, we know that really great brain development is categorizing things. It's if you go into your child's, you know, early childhood center, they're all about categorizing. They're asking children to sort things by shapes, by colors, by sound, by letters, by numbers, right? They're always categorizing. And so just because we categorize our brain does that naturally doesn't mean that that is automatically treating someone unfairly. Sometimes we are categorizing and that's what racism is. It's a categorization based off of hierarchy. It wasn't just a simple categorization. It was based off of hierarchy and who is better or more superior and who is inferior. And that is wrong. And so we want to make sure that we're helping our children to have language, a big part of diversity work is making sure our young ones have language for human diversity. They feel comfortable and competent around human diversity and that they're using language that's rooted in dignity, value, and respect. And I always get this question like, Britt, do you have a list? And I don't, and I won't have a list because language is always changing and evolving. And that's a good thing. It means that the human species is changing and evolving because language is past, it's shared. And especially language that is about liberation is always going to be changing in response to how oppression is happening. 
And so you have to just exercise that muscle and share that with your child that we have to be open to the fluidity of language, right? So there might be words that I used growing up. I'm like, for instance, I used the term growing up minority. And now Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I don't actually use the term minority because it's most of the time not used accurately. And instead I'll use the term minoritized. Sometimes too, my children come home and they share language. And this just happened with our teenager. We were talking about intercourse and I said something about STDs and he goes, oh, mom, they're not STDs anymore. And I was like, "Uh, what are they? And he goes, STIs. He goes, because using the word disease gives it a stigma and people won't seek help, but calling it an infection means that most of the time you can just go to the doctor and they can prescribe something for you, or they can tell you how to control it. And I was like, oh, thank you for updating my language for me. And a quick break from our podcast partner, which is Gooder. And I want to say Gooder sunglasses, but Amy and I both rock not only the Gooder shades, but also the Gooder running shoes. And with summer here, we are wearing both of these on repeat. So I'm definitely a fan of the OGs. I love the Ginger Soul and Bosley's Basset Hound Dreams. But I also have my eye on some of the fun new trendy ones. Pride and No Prejudice, for instance. So cute. And we love that all of their sunglasses are no slip. You can wear them from momming to running to going out on the boat. Literally, they keep up with your life so that you can continue to do your life. So if you want to get your first pair of either the shoes or any of the shades, make sure to head to gooder.com. That's G-O-O-D-R.com and use code HERSELF15 at checkout. That will get you 15% off your very first purchase so that you can also enjoy some of the fun new stylish shades or the running shoes this summer. Again, gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com and use code HERSELF15 for 15% off. Can't wait to see what you choose. Yeah, it's so good that they're learning different things and that we can be open to learning new things too. And right before we got started, we were having this conversation about how some of this is hard subjects and we could feel from our community, they're submitting these questions and they're so worried that they're going to say something wrong or say it in the wrong way, but you're really committed to helping to educate. And so you were open to any question that would come in. And one of the hard ones that did come in is what if there is discriminatory language happening with members of your family. So our listeners wanted to know, how should I address if my parent or if my in-law says something inappropriate in front of my kiddo? Yes, this is a beautiful question. And I'm really thankful for the folks who asked it. And it's really situational for how you respond, both in the moment who said it, who said what, And then also it depends on where you're at in your journey and your relationship to conflict. So I grew up in a household where conflict was bad. If you were a part of it, that somehow you were wrong and that you should try to avoid conflict at all costs, even when that makes you then uncomfortable. I've had to really unlearn that behavior and to now know that conflict isn't good or bad. It's a part of being a human being that we've always had conflict and we always will have conflict and some coming to a common ground can happen out of conflict resolution. 
And so if you're trying to change something that's deeply embedded in your family, like let's say racist jokes or a saying, I suggest honoring the past before moving forward. So saying something like, hey, I remember when dad used to say those jokes too, and I thought they were funny or harmless, but I've been doing a lot of personal work and I've decided that I don't want to keep saying those jokes anymore and I don't want them around my child. You can share your reasoning or not, but either way, make sure that you're being open to a conversation, but also confident in what you're saying. It could be different if like, let's say you're in traffic, you're with your mom or your dad, they get frustrated and they say something, you know, about the driver that cut them off in front of the kids. It's important that in that moment, you remember you are their child, but you are also a parent and you are your child first role model. And so you set the tone for speaking up. You are modeling how to speak up. So don't let the moment pass you by. Connect first by focusing on empathy. So you can say something like, whoa, that was so unsafe. It made my heart jump. (sighs) How are you feeling? Right? Connect, focus on empathy. Then state your values after y'all have connected and taken some deep breaths. And says, hey, when we were growing up, you made sure that I always treated everyone fairly. You remember that? And I'm making sure that I'm passing that down to our children. And I don't think what you said about that driver was fair or accurate, right? And then you can always ask clarifying questions, right? If let's say they shut it down and they're like, oh, it's harmless. And you say, but really it's not harmless. And again, restate your values. That's different if you were raised in a family where let's say your family was really bigoted and they had a lot of prejudice, right? So you're not gonna say, remember when you told me to always treat people fairly, or treat people with kindness. Instead, you might just want to be really clear and in that moment and say, hey, in our household, we value people. We offer every single human being respect and dignity. And we just do not allow that. You know, that phrase, you can say that phrase was rooted in prejudice. Or what I hear you saying is a stereotype because we don't know that person. And we know that that driving is not a characteristic of all people in you know this country or on that continent right that's inaccurate i cannot emphasize enough don't let the moment pass you by you're modeling for your children how to speak up and you're also modeling with vulnerability you can lead with feelings and say gosh that was really unsafe and what you said made me feel really uncomfortable and this is why Yeah. And this is something I've had to do within my own family with my in-laws. And at first I will say like, yes, it can be challenging. It can make you feel uncomfortable, but you know, it's my value to speak up every single time and practice really helps. Like now I'm going to say it every time I feel more confident, like it's really important to me that my kids don't walk away with a takeaway that I don't want them to have. Like that's more important to me than having a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. Yeah. And can I just add one other thing that I noticed that sometimes parents will do is that in the moment, They let that moment pass by. And then when they're in private with their child or around the dinner table, then they repeat like, hey, I can't believe my dad said this. It was like so racist. 
you think that you're doing your child a favor, but you're not, right? In that moment, what you're showing your child is that I did identify that something was wrong and it made me uncomfortable. So I didn't say anything. I did identify something was wrong, but because it's a loved one, I didn't say anything. Or in that moment, I identified that something was wrong, but it actually, it didn't affect me. So I didn't say anything. Children will draw all kinds of conclusions by your silence. And they're learning to practice silence every single time you let that moment pass by. It's important that you remind your children, this is who we are. These are our values of justice, trust, community, and that you practice courage in the littlest ways every single time. So to your point, I practice at home in the mirror. My children see me practice in the mirror. I talk to myself in the mirror anyways, but I practice. And whenever a moment does go by, I'm also want to share. It's one thing in the moment when you're like, whoa, I can't believe my parent just said a stereotype or that was really fat phobic of them. And I'm not going to say anything. That's different than when someone says something and you're just like, oh, so shocked and surprised. And the moment has passed you by because you're still trying to process it. If that happens, if the latter happens, it is 100% okay at the dinner table to say, I can't believe so-and-so said this. I was so shocked that I couldn't even process it fast enough. And then we got off the phone or the person went. And then if that happens, practice with your parenting partners. Say, you know what? I know it's going to happen again. Can I practice three ways that I could respond? That's very different than you just kind of harping on. I can't believe they said that that person is so bigoted. That person is so racist. That person is so prejudiced. And you kind of just distanced yourself from it versus, wow, I was just shocked. I hadn't ever heard that. I can't believe they said that. I wasn't prepared. So let me practice and be ready next time. And I loved that addition to the conversation, Britt. And just to solidify it even further, I wrote my mom a Mother's Day note and I said, mom, thank you so much for always demonstrating to stand up for what is right and what you believe in. She's Native American. She did not let one thing slide. <laughs> and so I learned that from her. I learned, you know, to be at the march, to do the thing, to make sure that people know that, you know, you're not okay with someone saying something in front of you. So I had to thank her because she demonstrated that in her parenting. And so I'm able to do that because I saw that. And we're also holding space for people where that's not how you were raised. And so you're trying to do better. And that is going to take some practice. It's going to take some courage, but I think you're going to feel better if you do it. A hundred percent. You will feel so much better. And I have this story and we go to the public library a lot, if you can't tell. And we were at the library and we were waiting for Kobe's older brother to get out of school. And so when we walked in, there's this one table that has the outlet, like the outlet. So I always try to get to that table so I can work on my laptop. And it was two Hispanic girls that were sitting at the table. And I was like, oh gosh, they got the table. And so I went, sat at another table and I started working on my laptop. And because it was still during school hours, we were homeschooling Kobe at the time. And it was still during school hours. There's lots of young children that were on the children's side. 
And occasionally I would look up, I was trekking on Kobe and I had noticed that the toddlers and the preschoolers were going up to these two teenagers and kept taking them like blocks and books. And I thought to myself, oh, they must have young children in their lives because they were being so kind to the toddlers and the preschoolers. They would like take the block and say, thank you. And, you know, the toddler would walk off and then they would toss it back. And it was like kind of just this repeat pattern. Not too long after that, did I kind of notice the energy shift in the room. And I look up and I notice a librarian making a beeline to these two teenagers. And I was like, oh, they must have like dog-eared a book or I don't, you know, I don't know what happened, but I could just tell like they were in trouble. And so I was like, let me watch. This will be interesting. And the librarian just walks right up to them and stops and said, this is the children's area and you are not children. You need to get your things and go. And I was like, again, just shock. It was not what I expected. And she goes, I will give you five minutes. And she like turns on her heels and walks away. And my face said it all. I just, my mouth was open. I was staring at the two girls and I just had never witnessed anything like that at this library. And so the one girl starts to kind of scan the room. And when we lock eyes, she immediately turns away and you could tell she's deeply embarrassed. Yeah. And I'm like, my heart is aching. My stomach is like just a ton of butterflies. And I remember telling myself, I'm like, Britt, get it together. You do this for a living. Like, you know, this is the moment. And I just had to put my hand on my stomach and was like, okay, what do I do? I take deep breaths. And I start to ask myself questions. Who is being harmed? Who is causing the harm? And what is the harm? Right. And so I'm like, okay, okay. So I identify the girls are being harmed. The librarian is causing the harm and has institutional power because she's a librarian. And then what is the harm? They're being excluded from a place that really is the safest area for them. We live in Houston. It's a major metro city. And so we're at a very large library. The children's side is the safest side for them. And so I'm like, okay, get really clear. And then because my body is so activated, so activated, I have to ask myself, Britt, are you unsafe or uncomfortable? Right? And if I'm unsafe, then I just need to get Kobe and I need to go. But if I'm uncomfortable, I need to stay and lean into it. So I'm like, hey, you're just uncomfortable. It's okay. You're safe. And so I decide if the librarian comes back, I'm going to go say something. Of course, I'm praying to Jesus. This librarian does not come back. I was like, maybe it'll be shift change. It'll be fine. Nope. Here she comes again, walks right up to the girls. And she says, it's been five minutes. You need to go. And so I'm like, all right, we're doing it. Let's go. And so I get up and I walk over and I interrupt. And I said, hey, I'm going to interrupt this moment. I said, I'm a mom. I have my child right over there. And I said, I can't help but overhear what happened. And I wanted clarification. Why are you asking them to leave? And the librarian says, because this is the children's area and they're not children. And only children or adults with children can be here. I said, okay, I hear that. And I agree with that. So I'm finding common ground with her. I agree. And I appreciate how you are working to keep our children safe. I go, and they are minors. They are children. So they have every right to be here too. 
So librarian was like, well, you're wrong and you don't know the rules. I do. I go, well, can I see the rule in writing? I'll wait. And then at that point, it's like a stare off. And I'm just like, yep, I'm going to wait because I need to see this in writing. And if it is in writing, then I can deal with that in a different way. But if it's not in writing, again, I can deal with it in a different way. So she turns on her heels. She's like, I'll be right back. And I said, okay, I'll be here. And I turned to the girls and I said, hey, I hope you don't like mind. And if you feel like I'm overstepping, I'm going to go sit back down. And they were so appreciative. They were like, no, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. They're like, we were just trying to do our homework. We're waiting for our aunt to pick us up. I go, well, I just want to remind you that this is your library too, and that you can take up space. So I, as an adult, will work with another adult. Then the supervisor comes out and I know the supervisor because I'm there all the time. She comes out and she's like looking around and I wave my hand and I'm like, hey, it's me rocking the boat over here. (laughs) And so she's like, hey, Britt. And I'm like, hi. I go, yeah. So this is the situation. And I asked the other librarian if she could show me the rule in writing because I don't feel like it's safe to send the teenagers onto the adult side. And the supervisor was like, first of all, thank you. Second of all, we actually have an initiative to try to get teenagers in the library. And we were wondering how come they don't come in the library more. And third of all, you were right. This is the safest area for them. She goes, I talked with the librarian. We looked up the rule and the rule clearly states 18 and over cannot be on the children's side if they don't have a child. I said, great. So where's the librarian so she can tell the teenagers? The supervisor goes, yeah, she said she's not coming back out on the floor. (laughs) I was like, all right, well, I will let them know. And if you also want to reiterate as the supervisor, they can take up space. That would be great. And then at that point, it's time for us to go get Kobe's older brother from school. And so I said, let's go, Kobe. We get in the car. He's buckling up. I'm, you know, pulling off. And Kobe just was like, hey, mom. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you did good work. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I saw you stand up for those girls. And I just like tears in my eyes. And I said, you know, Kobe, I did stand up for them, but I also stood up for you. And I stood up for every single kid because everyone deserves to be treated fairly. And I want to live in a world where people are being treated fairly. And I have that choice to make a change and to do that. And it's so funny that through that entire event, I did not once think about Kobe. I didn't think about what I was showing him. I didn't think about what I was modeling. I just knew what was right. And I also knew how scary it felt for whatever reason. I mean, it's almost silly thinking about it now, but in the moment, those feelings were real and big. And Mm -hmm. I had to ask myself questions and I had to process through and I had to remind myself, I'm safe. I am the adult. It is my work to do. I have language that I can have a conversation with. I can slow moments down. Right. And sometimes I'll even say that, hey, let's just slow this moment down. Let's catch our breath. And then, like, let's just try to unpack what's happening right now. Britt, I could picture myself in that library with you as you told that story. And just the fact that, yes, you felt safe. You definitely felt uncomfortable, but you're standing up for somebody who may not have felt safe if they would have, you know, listened to the librarian's directions and just putting ourselves as listeners into your shoes in that room. Is it uncomfortable to stand up? Yes. 
And in that moment, can we take action to not just help those two girls, but everyone else also? Yes. So it's just giving us permission to step into that discomfort when we know that we can make some changes, not only for that moment, but for going forward as well. So I just love that story and thank you for sharing it in such detail. I did want to shift gears a little bit here. One of our listeners asked a really interesting question and she said, do cancel culture and racism go hand in hand? And Britt, as someone that is an educator, could you talk about your thoughts about cancel culture and does it have any place? Oh, well, first I'm going to be honest and say, I don't have a well thought out answer. And I really want to lean into that, that I don't have, you know, sometimes when folks ask me questions, I'm like, this is it. And this is one of those things that it's not because I don't have a great definition for what is cancel culture. I can't have a great answer. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people that we're using the term or the phrase cancel culture, but we have different meanings for what that means. But where I'm at right now, I am pretty clear on the difference between brands, people, and actions. And so oftentimes when I hear about cancel culture, it's about canceling brands or institutions or businesses. And I think that's different than when we're talking about people. And so um, we're thinking about a celebrity. Yes, that is a whole human being that is a person. But when that person is earning money, that money is funneling through an LLC or an S-corp that just so happens to be their name. And so they also, as a brand, have a mission statement and vision. They have values. They may have a board of directors that they have to answer to. But that is a for-profit entity. And that we can hold institutions and brands accountable, right? That's different than when we're talking about Cousin Lisa or Aunt Kathy as someone that we're in a relationship with. And then it's the actions. And so sometimes what I'll kind of notice in this conversation of cancel culture is it's simply a conversation about accountability. And so it's a conversation saying, hey, what you just said was rooted in racism or what you just did excluded a group of people or that really wasn't fair. And I'm letting you know because you have the opportunity to change that behavior. Right. And that's accountability. Accountability is also me saying, and if you don't change that behavior, we are now out of sync with our values. And so, again, you have the opportunity to change 110%. Once you have those actions or share those values, everyone has the right to think and share and do as they please within reason. Right. Everyone does. But once you share that because we're in community, I also have the right to hold you accountable. And I think that that accountability for some people is very new. And it feels like, gosh, they're canceling me. That's not what's happening. Instead, they're giving you the gift of truth, right? They're asking you to evolve. They're asking you to grow. They're asking you to learn, to unlearn or relearn something. So that you can actually be in deeper community. You can actually have loving relationships with people. And that's a really beautiful gift. So do I think that it's ever okay for us to cancel human beings, for us to cancel people? I don't. Again, institutions, organizations, brands, that's a whole nother conversation, right? If there's a teacher conference I used to go to. 
And I've made it very clear to them that the conference is not accessible, particularly to working moms. And it's an education conference. And so what have I done? I have decided to divest from that teacher conference. I said, you know what? I'm not going to pay four or $500 for a three-day ticket to come here when you're being very exclusionary. And instead, I'm going to invest in a different teacher conference, which was Montessori for Social Justice. The conference ticket was half the price. You always got dinner included. They were inclusive to children and babies, so you can bring your child with you. They partnered with a local school to offer affordable childcare if you had school-aged children. They centered Indigenous elders in the conference. We had family-style dinner that came with your registration ticket. And so they always reminded you every time that we would line up to allow elders to go first, people with disabilities could go first, and people with children can go first. And that was a part of their community values. So did I cancel the other organization? I mean, maybe someone would look at that as canceling. I made it clear and said, hey, the fact that you don't have a place that, first of all, you don't even allow children under the age of six months. And that if you do bring a child under the age of six months, you don't have a private place for people to breastfeed. Like this is unimaginable in 20, at the time, I think it was like 2018. So I think also too, divesting isn't the same as cancel culture. A brand always has the opportunity to go back to the drawing board and saying like, how do we realign what we're doing and where we're going in the future? And they should as a company. Anti-racism at the heart of it, it's all about community. It's all about being in relationship. And that doesn't mean in our relationship, you know, sometimes I like people and sometimes I don't like people, but I'm still in community with them. Sometimes we get along and sometimes we don't. I'm still in community with them. But what ties us together are our values. We might not agree on every single action, right? Someone might say, I only buy books by Black authors and it's the only thing I'm going to buy. And I might say, well, you know what? I'm going to buy books by people of color. Someone else might say, you know what? I'm going to buy books by people of color, by Black authors, by Indigenous authors, and by disabled folks. Okay. But what we're tied to is justice. We're tied to that value. And that's what it means to be in community with folks. I loved that answer. And I was going to say right before we got started, we were talking about 2020 and how tough that year was. And to me, what happened was a lot of deflection. So it was like people were having these big feelings about maybe the part that they played in racism. And instead of owning that, they wanted to show someone that had done worse than they did. So everything just got really loud and, you know, mean. And what comes up for me is like, okay, we've gone through all that. Like who's still continuing these conversations and what are they doing to make a difference? And that's kind of what I think is important. And when I'm buying something or supporting someone, like those are the things that I want to see. So we're all going to have to figure out, you know, what is important to us when we are supporting people and what that means to you. A hundred percent. Like having conscious consumption is very important especially in a capitalist society. And that consumption can be both of like intellectual property. And so that's every time we're scrolling on social media, that is someone's intellectual property. And I'm being very thoughtful about that, right? I'm citing my sources. I'm thinking about what is my representation? What are my expectations of representation, even for the accounts that I'm 
following. Like last night, Kobe and I, I was scrolling Instagram and I follow a trans woman. And like, we would just went down like a rabbit hole of her reels that are hilarious, like TikTok type funny reels. But that's something I'm exposing my child to. So it can be someone's intellectual property. It can be someone's emotional labor. It can be the actual, the physical things that we're purchasing. But it's important for us to be thoughtful and have agreements and expectations around what am I consuming and why? And then also boundaries. How do I know when I've like crossed a boundary or maybe I've gone to some old ways or ways that I have been conditioned or socialized to believe or think? And then have those conversations with your parenting partners in front of your children and be like, you know what I noticed? I was like following all of these, you know, X kind of accounts, right? I follow all of these yogis and I just realized like they were all really thin white women that were selling online courses that were focused on stretching. Ah, I love yoga. I love practicing yoga, but I have to find some brown yogis, right? Or I got to find some yogis Mm -hmm. that are also focused on a holistic viewpoint. Right. And be okay with unfollowing. It's okay to say, I saw there's a post on your Instagram feed that said, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no to say yes to something else. Yes. For someone that wasn't sure of her answer, I think you laid a lot of value down for us. So thank you so much for that one. Britt, as we said in the beginning, we are such big fans of your work and we cannot wait to read your book. I would love it if you let everyone know where they can find more of you. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. So if you're kind of like, Britt, I'll catch you when I catch you, definitely read along on Instagram at Britt Hawthorne. If you're someone that's like, oh, I'm looking for a little bit more structured kind of directives, subscribe to my weekend newsletter every weekend, Saturday or Sunday. I'm going to send out a newsletter that's focused on strategies. It has books, recommendations, toy recommendations, all of that unlearning and relearning. And I also just launched a blog that I'm super proud of too. Also on my website, BrittHawthorne.com. Oh, such great resources there. So definitely encourage you to follow that newsletter, follow Britt and over at Herself Podcast on Instagram, we'll be sharing all of your resources this week. So thank you again, Britt, just for explaining this in a non-judgmental way, letting us approach you with these questions that we know so many of our listeners have, and just giving us the permission to have these conversations, not only with our parenting partners, but then also with our children. This was such a valuable interview. Absolutely. It was my joy. And thank you so much again for having me, for making space for this conversation. I just really appreciate y'all. And I am wishing y'all much ease and play and peace this week.